Amen, amen. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good morning. If you are new this morning and we haven't met, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to have you. Welcome to those that are online today. And I love the words of the song we just sang, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. Say that with me. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. That's exactly what this series is about. We're in a new series today called Light in the Tunnel. And the whole idea is, is that there's not just light at the end of the tunnel. Many of us have heard this statement, well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's really not a biblical statement. We serve a God that not only provides light at the end of whatever we're dealing with, but he also provides light in the middle of what we're dealing with. Amen? So there's light in the tunnel. My hope and prayer for all of us today is that wherever you're at today, if you were to say, man, I've been through the tunnel, I feel like I'm getting ready to go in the tunnel, or I've been hanging out in the tunnel a long time, you just need to know today that there is hope in the tunnel. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. Man, what a powerful song that fits where we're going so well. Hey, before we get into what we're talking about today, I mentioned we're in a series called Light in the Tunnel. I want to tell you about next week. Um, As I mentioned earlier, about the last year and a half or so, different people have come up and said, hey, could we do a mental health series? And so God kind of worked it out to where that's the series that we're in now. And next week, um, we're going to be talking about depression and also even suicide a little bit. And so um, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. You know, sometimes when God calls you to preach something, it doesn't necessarily mean something that you battle. And um, I want to share something with you. This guy's name is Dr. Todd Bowman. And Todd is going to come next week, and he's going to be talking about this topic. He is just a powerful speaker, does a great job sharing. Um, And let me tell you how I got connected to Todd. I was going through some stuff on my own a couple years ago, um, just some... I just needed someone to help me with some stuff. And Phil Rhodes, who's our district superintendent, he said, Kyle, I think you need to talk to someone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't need to talk to anybody. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do need to talk to somebody. And so he got me connected with um, Todd, and it was, it was awesome. And then I share this with you because Brian McClure, our tech guy, has given me permission to tell you this. I wouldn't do it without his permission. But Brian has shared uh, more, several times that he deals with anxiety. And he talked with Todd um, over the course of a few sessions, and Todd was extra helpful to him. So next week, if you were to say, oh, man, I don't deal with depression, you probably know someone that does if you haven't dealt with it in some way. And so next week would be a great opportunity for someone who not only doesn't know Jesus, but doesn't attend church, doesn't even know anything about anything, to invite them to come and be a part of it. It's going to be a powerful time next week. But as I mentioned earlier, um, the series is about light just doesn't come at the end of the tunnel. Let's read it. Jesus died so that we could have light in the tunnel, okay? And today we're tackling anger. So raise your hand if in your whole life at least once You've been angry. Raise your hand, okay? The rest of you are lying because all of us at some point in our life have been angry, okay? So I hesitated to tell this story with you because it makes me vulnerable and it's not my proudest moment as a person and as a pastor, but sometimes my anger doesn't, it can get the best of me in competitive situations. Is anybody else this way? Okay, in ball games especially, and I want to tell you, like, one of my low points, um, my daughter, several years ago, was in a Christian sports program through Countryside called Upwards, okay? So this is like the lowest of low for me. And we were over at Cherokee, where I grew up and went to school and know a bunch of people. 
All right? We had people from our church that were at this event, as well as these kids. And I'm sitting there, and I can feel my competitiveness starting to take over me because Grace, my daughter, continues to get fouled over and over, and they don't call it. They say nothing, okay? Now, I know none of you struggle with talking to refs, okay? But I have to watch that because at times that can happen to me, all right? There's this thing called self-control, and I had a moment where I wasn't using it, and my dad, okay, my dad, and if you know my dad at all, my dad is really good about not saying things he shouldn't say. He's better at that than me. My brother Chris is better at that than me, but occasionally in a competitive situation. So we're sitting there watching Grace play, and she literally has nothing to do with the play, and they call a foul on her. Like literally nothing to do. Now the right thing to do is to just not say anything, okay? I know that. I would get it right on a test. True or false, when someone does something wrong in a sporting event, you should say something to the ref. False, you should not. But in that moment, what are we talking about today? Anger, my impulse. And I, I think she was number 24, 25. I can't remember. I can't remember. I think, anyway, I said, you called that number? I said out loud in front of the whole crowd with my dad there, people from my church there, a bunch of other people there. I said out loud, you called that on 2-4? And the ref goes, one more word out of you and you're out of here. <laughs> and it really... It started because what was, you know, that emotion that I had that was anger is now moved to shame and embarrassment. What makes it worse is my dad, he doesn't say a whole lot, but I turn around and he is bright red, okay? At this, this was two or three years ago, so I was 40, whatever, 44 at the time. And he looks at me, he didn't say anything, just this utter look of disgust. Like, I cannot believe you are a pastor, some of you know Dean Powell. Dean's sitting over there. And he's just looking at me like, really, from you? It's from you? So then my dad goes, do you know who that ref is? I go, nope. He goes, that's the pastor of the Baptist church in Cherokee. I said, if I could have dug a hole in the gym, I would have. So I went home and I figured out Ben. Some of you know Ben. He's the pastor over at Cherokee. Nice guy. Called him up and said, hey, I apologize for getting upset, but why did you call? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I just let it go. I share that with you because that's, that's an example where I have used, I've had anger and I can use anger sometimes if I'm not careful. So I want to say that today. I don't want to be hypocrite today. This is a tough topic for me because if I'm just being real with you, at times this can be an issue for me. But, but here's the good news. Jesus died so that not only I don't have to deal with this all the time, you don't have to deal with this all the time. Amen. So we're talking about anger today, and I got to thinking about, and this is not an exhaustive list at all, but here's a few reasons why some of us might get angry. Again, there's more, but just a few here. One of the reasons that we can get angry and stay angry is because life isn't working out the way that we thought it would. You didn't think you were going to be divorced. You didn't think someone was going to abuse you. You didn't think someone was going to hurt somebody that you care about, right? That's our second one. Sometimes we can get angry because someone has hurt us or even more importantly, someone that we care about. Okay, those are a couple. And then other times can feel misunderstood or devalued. Let me tell you something. Bullying is a real thing. I've got kids in here. Some of you guys know what it's like to be bullied, and, and it's a horrible situation, and we feel misunderstood, devalued. And it's not just kids that deal with those kind of things. We as adults can deal with it. We think our boss misunderstands us, or our employees misunderstand us, or someone has the wrong idea about us, and there's nothing we can do to change, change it right? 
Because sometimes people make up their mind about you or someone else, and that's it. You can't do anything. That's just the way it is. And some of us get, get healthy about it, and we say, you know what? What matters is what God thinks about us, which is what's true. But sometimes we can get this unhealthy space where I need you to like me, and because you don't like me, now I'm miserable and I get angry. That's one reason. A relationship isn't right in our life. We haven't spoken to someone or they haven't spoken to us or something's not right and that can make us angry because there's unfinished business there. Or something has happened and we feel powerless to do anything about it. So those are just a few reasons why. Obviously, that's not an exhaustive lift, but maybe one of you today, you're sitting in here, you're watching online today, and you would say right now, I just, I'm angry about this or that. Or for some of us, and I've been here before, what are you angry about? I don't know, right? We don't even always know. And yet, God has something to say about it today. And here's the good news this morning. We don't have to live in anger. Angry. We don't have to live in anger we can let God have that. So we're going to talk about that today. Some of you have heard of Dr. Henry Cloud. He's written a, book, written a book on boundaries, which is a powerful book. But anyway, he's got some quotes on it. Here, here's what he says. And this is actually from a podcast, and I just kept re-watching it and typed it out. Here's what he said. One of the big mechanisms that helps us become aware that something isn't good or something hurts or something isn't going well is that your system is going to have an experience, and that experience is anger, right? Is anger. And anger is basically what type of emotion? A protest emotion, because something isn't right. And then he says this, and I love this. He goes, I mean, think about it. We don't get angry about things that are good, right, fair, and just. You got an A on your assignment? I'm so mad at you, right? You wouldn't help that person? I'm so angry. No, we get angry over things justifiably normally. I mean, some people just look for things to get mad about, and they're mad all the time, and I, I suppose they don't necessarily fit into this, but most of us don't get angry unless there's something that's wrong. Anger normally comes up when something, let's read it, isn't right, it isn't fair, and it isn't just. And the issue really isn't that we get angry. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. I mean, Jesus got angry. He didn't sin in his anger. We're going to talk about that too. But he got angry. It's okay sometimes to be angry about stuff. It's an emotion that allows us to do something about something. So the issue isn't that we get angry. Let's read it. The issue is, what do we do? Okay, now... Now, we're not getting into this today. We're kind of all like, oh, is he talking to me today? Sometimes people come up to me like, do you know my story? I'm like, no. Well, you just talked about, I'm like, no, I have no idea. So if you're here saying, well, he knows, no, I don't know, okay? So let's try this again. The issue isn't that we get angry. Let's read it again. The issue is, what do we do? I mean, there's a bunch of people in jail today. If they could have just practiced self-control, they wouldn't be there because they did something when they were angry. And maybe... They felt justified in why they did whatever they did because something wasn't right, just, and fair. But the reality is, before we get into this today, that God's plan for us, now this is powerful, God's plan for us when, not if, when we get angry, is not for us to follow the emotions that we feel, but it's to trust God's spirit when we get angry. Let me say that again, okay? I need to say that to myself. <laughs> when we feel anger, 
God's plan isn't for us to just allow those emotions to say, you called that foul on 2-5, or something even way worse. It's to allow God's spirit to take control. We're going to talk, talk for just a little bit about a, a, a two brothers named Simeon and Levi. And they allowed their anger to take over, and they, they made a big mess. Now, in just a second, you're going to find out why they were angry, and most of us, including myself, completely understand why they were angry. But the reality is, rather than allowing God to lead them in their anger to bring about justice for what happened, they took it into their own hands and they made a huge mess, caused a lot of shame to their dad because they, they didn't let God have their anger. Some of us have never heard this story before, others of us are familiar with it, but it's found in Genesis chapter 34. And for those who've been around the last few weeks, we've been a couple of weeks we spent on Jacob, and we learned that Jacob had 12 sons, and he had a daughter, and his daughter's name was Dinah. Say Dinah with me. Dinah. And um, Dinah was the daughter of Jacob and Leah, and here's what it says. One day, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince Shechem, say Shechem, Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her, and he raped her. So eventually, what happens is, is that, which is the craziest thing, like if some of you have been reading the Bible before, and you read this, and you're like, what? So this event happens, he, he abuses her, he takes advantage of her, and then he has the audacity to say, listen, I know I did that to you, but I actually am in love with your daughter, okay? So he eventually, um, Shechem's dad comes to visit Jacob about Shechem marrying Dinah, Okay? So meanwhile, Jacob's son, Jacob's sons have come in from the field, and they don't know anything about this. They don't know what's happened to their sister. They don't know that Shechem's got some weird, like, I did this to you, but now I want to marry you. He, all they know essentially is, is that, that this has happened. And scripture says that they were shocked and furious. Shocked and furious. Say that with me. Shocked and furious. Now, some of you are familiar with this because this experience that I'm talking about today has happened to you. Some of you um, online as well, you know someone that this happened to. And I would say that's most of us have know somebody at least that this has happened to. And I'll be honest with you. If I heard this happen to my daughter, I would be shocked and furious. Anybody else with me? Raise your hand if you would be. I, I would. Yep. Shocked and furious. And if you're not raising your hand, you're probably not telling the truth. Shocked and furious of what had happened. And Shechem... Um, Let's see, they were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. We can all agree with that. And then Shechem's dad, Hamar, he tries to speak with Jacob and his son. You know, it's like dad trying to clean up what his son did, right? We all know people like that. Coaches, teachers, you know people like this. Parents are like, well, my baby, he, he went out of control, but you know, he, he didn't know. I mean, I don't know what happened, just, you know, and that's kind of here. Hamar, he's trying to, to, to clean up what dad, what little kid did. He tries to speak with Jacob and his sons. He said, listen, my Shechem, you know, my Shechem, little Shechem, I know what he did was wrong, but listen, I just want you to know something. He sure thinks a lot of your daughter. In fact, he's in love with her. And you know what? Would you let him marry her? I understand context and everything was different back then, but I'm reading this and I'm like, what? I'm thinking throat punch. And he's talking about marrying. Anybody thinking throat punch? Somebody? Yeah. You guys went up quick. You're like, yup. <laughs> I was getting mad reading it myself. Please let him marry her. 
In fact, you know what? I'm going to say something really stupid. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. You give us your daughters for our sons and we give you our daughters for your sons and we'll get this deal done right now and we can get you into a car real quick here. I'm going to fast Willie here with this, with this thing. And I'm like, what? So then Shechem himself speaks to Dinah's fathers and brothers. Please be kind to me and let me marry her. I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Pay it. Let's read that last line. Just give me the girl. Yeah, no. But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded how? Okay, you know that person, like when I was in high school, and they would say, like, the person that you need to worry about getting in a fight is not the one who's constantly running their mouth. It's the one who doesn't say a word that just makes it happen. Not that that's right, but you hear that in school. So when I was in college at Mid-America up there, uh, there's a guy on our hall, his name, I won't say his name, but he was a guy who had done something bad, and I'll not tell you what it was, but he'd done something bad to somebody else on the hall. And every day, this guy that had done something bad, another person on the hall that no one knew who it was, would get him back every day in a certain way. And he would get so mad he couldn't figure out who it was. And he had some ideas that was these loud mouth people on the hall that, you know, maybe had it out against him. We get to the end of the semester, we're getting ready to leave, and we find out it wasn't the loud mouth people on the hall. It was the quiet guy down the hall that was deceitfully scheming all year, telling no one what was happening. So when we're all like, wait, he's the one? Like, yeah, I'm like, dude, that's dark. Like, he was like, he was hidden. So that's kind of what's happening here in this story. Because on the surface, Dinah's brothers are going to go along with him, but he's getting ready to pay him back. So here's what we see happening. He says, we couldn't possibly allow you to marry our sister without circumcision. I mean, if you guys will get circumcised, you can just marry her if you want to, sure. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you because you haven't been circumcised. But you know what? Let's come up with a solution. I mean, this is like... If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters and we'll take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we'll take her, take her and be on our way. Well, Hamar and his son Shechem, they're like, yeah, sounds good, sounds good. They agree to the proposal. So Shechem wasted no time in acting on the request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter, how? Desperately. Shechem, the guy who committed the act, he was a highly respected member of his family, and he went with his father, Hamar, to present the proposal to the leaders at the gate. Now, I'm, I'm trying to think of this, okay? Right? Nowadays, a, a boy gets circumcised maybe the day he's born or the day after, right? And, and I think it's in Jewish, they get circumcised seven days later or something. I could be off on that. But can you imagine being a 40-some-year-old man, and the guy comes up, and he's like, leaders in town, I got an idea. What if all the guys in town, we all get circumcised? Who's with me? Oh, yeah, by the way, it's because I really like this girl that I was mean to, but anyway, that's another story. But would you guys, I mean, like, what? But he says, these men are our friends. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming our people with us only if all our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. So they're thinking, trying to find a way to make this happen. They're trying to convince them to be circumcised. So come, let's agree to their terms 
and let them settle here among us. Well, they must be good influencers because all the men in town agreed to do it. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hamar and Shechem. And let's read that last sentence there. And every male in the town was circumcised, which is falling right into Dinah's brother's hands. They've made this agreement. Yeah, man, you get circumcised. We'll do this. So then three days later happened. Now, for those of you who've had surgery, you know there's a time to recover, right? You, you can't just bounce back real quick. It takes a while. And Simeon and Levi know this. Because all the men in town, they don't, they're not, they can't fight anybody. They've just had a major surgery, right? So three days later, when the wounds were still, this is in the Bible, guys, I'm just telling you. This is in the Bible. I don't know if I want my kids in here. It's in the Bible. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, who? Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without... Why wasn't there opposition? Because everybody's sore. Everybody just got done having surgery. Nobody's policing. Nobody's up to it. And if there is a guy standing at the gate, he sure don't feel like fighting anybody. And scripture says that Simeon and Levi went into the town knowing that this is the way it is. And they slaughtered, let's read it, every male there including Hamar and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords, and then they took Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. Now, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Because not only, right, I mean, not that it's right, but you kind of understand them being upset with the person who actually committed the offense, but not only did they bring their wrath down on Shechem and Haman, right, Hamar, the, the dad, but they, they kill everyone. And then they go farther, the rest of Jacob's sons arrive, and they find that not only the men are slaughtered, but they plundered the town because of their sister had been defiled there. Anger, completely out of control. They plundered the town because their sister had been defiled. They seized all the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. Let's finish it. Everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They looted how much of their wealth? All their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their little children and wives and led them away as captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Levi let's read this sentence. You, now can I just say this real quick? As I mentioned this earlier, I want to repeat this. Most of us, Regardless of where we take the anger, in the beginning, most of us, not all of us, but most of us in the beginning, the reason we're mad is because something was not right. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just. And it wasn't right. And what Shechem had done to Dinah wasn't fair, it wasn't just, and it wasn't right. And can I just say that when... When something bad happens and something rages up and something comes up inside of you and said, this isn't fair, this isn't just, this isn't right, that's a correct evaluation. It's not fair, it's not just, and it's not right. And what we tend to do when we are justifiably angry is we justify whatever we want to do, whatever we want to say, however we want to act, because we are Right? But in our rightness, we can be wrong. 
We didn't bring any tomatoes in here so you wouldn't throw them at me. Did we catch that? The person who does the offense is wrong. We evaluate that. We're angry because it's wrong. Anger is an emotion that happens. We understand that. But we can be wrong in the way we handle being right. And that's exactly what we see happening here. He says, you have ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces in what? Crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. And they're still mad. And they say, but why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? Let's read that little phrase. They retorted angrily. So let me say what we already know but need to be reminded of today. Anger isn't bad. It's an emotion that God's created for us. We're going to mention, I'm just going to mention just a minute, but Jesus got angry. Anger isn't bad. It's a normal emotion that we all encounter in various points of our lives. I just mentioned it. Jesus displayed anger when he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. It wasn't right. He didn't sin against anyone, but he was angry. Can I tell you today, God created the emotion of anger for a purpose But we don't get to stop worshiping God and glorifying God even when we feel angry. It's like, God, I love you, but if I'm mad, I'm going to take off my ambassador of Christ badge that your word talks about. And I am going to act however I want, say whatever I want, hurt anyone I want, because they are wrong and they are going to feel the wrath But the reality is that's not what God desires for us or has planned for us. And can I tell you, I'm just going to be honest up here. I'm not, good at, at talk, I'm not good at saying things that I don't really believe. I can understand how they would be angry. This scripture at the same time, though, we got to look at it. Paul says, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Let's read that sentence. And don't sin by letting anger control you. The implication is, it doesn't say don't get angry. It says don't sin and letting your anger control you. In fact, it goes so far as to say, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Let's read it. For anger gives, anger gives a foothold to the devil. Say that with me. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. I'm going to say it again. The issue isn't that we get angry. The issue is what do we do when we get angry? I mean, let's face it. People do stupid things when their anger takes over. Amen? That's the truth. In fact, in here, there's people in here today, you would say, man, I had to learn that the hard way. We can be tempted to do stupid things when anger takes over, which leads to our next thought. Anger can be destructive when it's not channeled in a healthy and godly manner. God, when we give God our lives, can I just tell you this? I want to paint a picture for us today through Scripture. 
You know, we take communion. Some of us take communion. We take communion and, and we've asked Jesus into our heart and maybe we get baptized as a symbol of what God's done in our heart and we invite God's spirit into us that we're a follower of Jesus Christ and we're gonna live for him and we're gonna follow him. And God's plan for us is not that we would just be saved although he died so that we could receive him. His plan for us is that we would continue to grow in him and that his spirit would continue to grow in, in, him, in us and that we would reflect the fruits of his nature. Christ must increase, Paul says, and I must decrease. And God wants to put in our hearts rather than anger and bitterness and resentment and all these different things that so many times can be a part of our lives. He wants to replace all that with his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his gentleness and his faithfulness. And that last one, if you know it, say it with me, self-control. That's the least sexy one of all of them. That's the one we don't want to listen to. Right? If you're a kid and you have to listen to your parents give you, talk to you, there's one talk, probably kids, that you, you don't want to hear more than any of them, the rest of them, right? Take responsibility for your actions. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to, right? We do that. Some of you kids are nodding your head. That's the speech we don't want to hear. And yet it's the speech sometimes we need to hear. Amen, parents? Amen, parents? Sometimes we need to hear it. And parents, sometimes we need to hear something too. They slaughtered every male because of their anger. Listen, we can't let anger fester. Listen to this. When we let anger fester, it can lead to bitterness, resentment, and even a hardening of our hearts. These feelings can create what in relationships? Rifts. Hinder our ability to forgive. And most importantly, it separates us from the peace and the love of God that he wants us to experience. I want to read a scripture for you this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, starts in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. One more. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20. Listen to this. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Say that with me. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So can I just say this today? For some of us, there are certain things, like what happened to Dinah. There's too many of us in here. You've had maybe one. There's at least a few in here that's have had this happen to them or somebody that you know. Same online. You've, you, you can identify with this. Things like what happened to Dinah or maybe even worse, God forbid. Those are things that we can't let go of in our own strength. I'm just going to be real with you. And if you're sitting here saying, I don't know how I could let go of this, I would tell you, I agree. And the reason that we're able to let go of things and to forgive is not because we have the strength in ourselves. 
It's because we serve a God who when we're weak, he is strong. And we can take our anger and our hurt and our resentment to him. And I'll be honest, there's times where I can take it to him once and I'm good, but there's times where I gotta keep coming back to him because this is frustrating to me. You hear people say sometimes, well, I've forgiven them. Can I tell you that's good? But I like the term forgiving them because it reminds me that any time I want to, I can pick it back up. I've got friends that are in AA, and they'll be sober for 20 years, and they'll say, they'll call themselves an alcoholic. And I'm like, wait, you haven't had a drink in 20 years. Why do you call yourself that? And like, it's a reminder to me that any point... Without the grace of God, I can go back to that old well that can cause those problems. Some of you can relate to that. And it's not just alcohol. It could be anything. I have forgiven them, and I choose every single day to forgive them. I've had people in my life that I've forgiven, but then I had a child, and I got mad all over again. I had to forgive them again. Anybody relate to that? We can't do it in our own strength. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died is because we couldn't. Some of you know Nelson Mandela. He was arrested in 1962 and he was in prison for 20, over 27 years. And you talk about somebody that could have been angry. And here's a quote that he said. This is actually a picture of the day he was released from prison. Here's what he said. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, let's read those yellow words, I'd still... Here's what happens sometimes. If we are a person that has a hard time forgiving people, at the end of our life, if we've never forgiven anyone, that list is pretty long then. I mean, think about it. Person A messed with you and you don't ever deal with that. I hate them. I can't stand them, that one. Somebody else does something wrong. I can't stand them. I got a grudge against them, 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 I got a grudge against them. And now all of a sudden you look back and man, that's a lot. And I mean this in the most loving, kind way possible. I don't mean this because sometimes you talk about each, you know, you, like, you go back through the cold cases, right? The one 20 years ago and five years ago and two years ago and two months ago and two weeks ago and why you're upset with your spouse and so on. And some of them you're going along, you're like, man, I can see why you're mad. That's actually you. You think of Jesus... If he had to go to the cross because he deserved to go to the cross, then he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Let me see your case. I don't know why you did that, but I'll die for you. Let me see your case. Are you serious? I'll die for you. On and on and on. See, church, we can forgive because Christ forgives us. We can live the life that God's called us to live because the same power that put Jesus on the cross and rose from the dead is the same spirit that we can have inside of us. One of the things, some of us can really appreciate this. Some of us are loyal. Like one of your, not everybody in the room, but for some of us in the room, your number one strength is loyalty. 
But how loyal are we to God when we allow an emotion, a genuine emotion called anger that every single person on planet Earth experiences? And if you don't say you never get angry, then I just, I have a hard time believing that. But when we put our emotions and our feelings over obedience to God, whether we want to admit it or not, that is idolatry. I wanted to say, I'm just being honest, okay? I don't, maybe this is wrong for a pastor to say. I wanted to say out loud, why do you keep calling a foul on grace when they're fouling her? And that last one, literally, she didn't touch anyone and you called a foul on her. It wasn't right, it wasn't fair, and it isn't just. So I'm going to, in front of everybody here, say out loud, and then I realized really quickly that was stupid. In that moment, I was kind of, a, I know we're just being lighthearted about it, but in that moment, I did the wrong thing. Was the ref right? I'm sorry, no, he wasn't. But did I need to set a bad example and allow my impulses at the time to control me? I didn't. I mean, what would happen today? This has been my prayer because, you know, everybody's different, but that there would be one person today that would take that, however big that list is, if it's one person, maybe it's your spouse, maybe your spouse has hurt you over and over and you don't even realize it, but you're just mad at them because they're, they can be stupid. Or maybe it's an employer, or maybe it's a teacher, or maybe it's a coach, or maybe it's all those people. It's this list. And every time someone fails you, you put them on the I hate you list. Now, we can do that in our flesh, but our, the Spirit of God doesn't bear witness with that. But here's the good news today. We can take those things to God and we can say, God, I don't know how to let go of those things. So here's what I'm going to do. I have no idea. I could even be mad at the Chiefs right now. They're not playing very good. I could say, God, you take whatever that is, anger, hurt towards this person and that person, I don't know. I don't know where to put this. My wife sometimes thinks I know. Like we'll have some miscellaneous thing, and she'll say, "Why did you put that there?" And I'm like, "Well, I didn't know where it was supposed to go." She's like, "Well, it goes over there." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. That's where it goes. That's the spot for it." Maybe we're looking at God and we're like, "I don't know what to do with what my uncle did to me when I was a child." I don't know what to do with this other person did to me. I don't know what to do with what they did to my son. I don't know what to do with what they did to my kid. I don't know what to do with this person that bullied me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Can I tell you what God did? God died so that you don't have to carry it anymore. And you can bring it to him and say, that really hurt. But if I hold it, it's going to kill me. So I'm going to give it to you. Now, I grew up in a situation in a church where they believe once you give it away, you never take it back. And, and I don't really believe that anymore. I think sometimes life can happen 
like I forgave some people and then I had a kid and then I thought, how in the world could you ever do that to another person? And what I let go, now I had a child and I was mad all over again. There are times where we have to give it, we don't realize what happened, but we accidentally picked it back up again. Well, how'd you get it back? I don't know. And when that happens, we have to lay it back down. But you don't understand what they did. You're right. Can you imagine Simeon and Levi talking to Jacob? Dad, do you know what they did to Dinah? Do you know what he did? And he has the audacity to come over here and not only act like it wasn't a big deal, but then ask for a hand in marriage? You guys slaughtered the entire village and killed everyone. You think that's cool just because you got mad because of what happened? You're just going to go off and hurt everybody around you? You've embarrassed me. You've shamed me. I'm ruined because you can't control your temper. Jesus died so that we could have his peace so that we could have his grace so that we don't have to live in our anger. I'm wrestling with the ending here. I think I'm going to go through this a little quicker and then get to a more important point here. What can we do when we feel anger rising up within us? Here's basic things we can do. We can turn to God in prayer. Some of us are talking to the wrong people about our anger. You know what we tend to do? This is the truth. I do it. We tend to talk to people who we know will agree with us. Don't we? Well, John over there, Jane over there, I know that you're a little bit of a loose cannon so you're the one I'm going to talk to about my anger because you've got a problem too. I just burned down the whole building. I'll do it too. Well, that ain't the guy you're supposed to talk to. Talk to God. I had some anger and some hurt and some frustration over feeling misunderstood about some stuff. And like I shared earlier, my friend Phil, he says, Kyle, you need to talk to a counselor. Folks, it's not weak to go talk to someone. Sometimes there's stuff that goes on and we just need somebody to help us sort, us out, sort it out. Seek wise counsel from other people when you're angry. And let me just say, like I said earlier, we need to define what wise is. Someone who, so you need to talk to someone who's also trying to follow Jesus. Don't go talk to somebody who has no, I'm just being real, okay? You might hear something different if you're different, but you're in a church today and we want to follow Christ. Don't go talk to somebody who does not view the world through the Bible's lens and then expect to get good advice. Talk to someone who's a Christian counselor. And then this last thing here, we're called to practice self-control. But here's the thing. When we get angry, choose to respond from God's spirit rather than emotions. Let's read that sentence. Choose to respond from God's spirit rather than your emotions. Jesus died 
so that we don't have to live angry. God's spirit is bigger and stronger than any feelings of anger. Here's where I was wanting to get to. Instead of holding on to your anger, instead of holding on to your anger, let God have it. I hate roller coasters. I don't know why people like them. I think, I'm sorry, I love everybody in this room, but if you like, I don't understand why people like them. I like to feel nauseous. Not me. I love being motion sick. It's just fun to be motion sick. So it's been a lot of, long time since I've been to amusement park. My wife will drag me to Silver Dollar City because everybody else likes it. I don't mind it, but it's always too many people, and I don't like riding roller coasters, and I'm too big to fit in one, so that doesn't help either. But you know what I end up doing when we go to a theme park? When the kids were little, I had to watch the kid. Now when I go, especially when it's cold out, I hold everybody's coats and bags. That's what I do. They'll come up and say, hey, Dad, since you can't fit in that roller coaster and you're scared of them, why don't you hold my bag, big boy? So then I'm holding everybody's stuff. Dad'll hold it for him. Dad'll hold it. Dad'll hold it. My wife gets off. Sorry, we were gone for four hours. How's it going? <laughs> so when I think of holding on to stuff, it's like God can hold that stuff for us the same way that somebody who doesn't like roller coasters can hold stuff for their family. And you're trying to hold it. And let me tell you something. It gets tiresome holding stuff after a while. But you know what? We serve a God that never gets tired. The Bible says even young men grow weary and tired, but the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. So my thought today as the band comes up this morning is, is there anybody in here that would like to just hand it over to God? Luke He's quite the fisherman now, but when he was younger, I swear that kid threw his line in the tree about every time he'd cast. And I was a selfish fisherman instead of a kind and unselfish fisherman. And every once in a while, I'd be like, would you quit throwing your line in the tree? I want to fish. And I'd go over there and I'd spend forever trying to get it out of the... And finally, there'd be times where I'm like, I don't even know where this knot started. I'm just going to cut the line. Our lives can get like that where we can get so, things can get so twisted and tangled and we don't know why we were mad at this person. We don't understand the genesis of why we were mad at this person. Sometimes you're like, I don't even remember what we were fighting about in the first place, but you know, da 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 all down the line. Listen, you don't need to sort out this morning why this one and this one and this one you're mad at. You can just, here's the good news. Jesus died so you don't even have to worry about that. You just give it to him. You don't have to come to an altar to do that. You can do it right where you're at. You don't have to be sitting in this sanctuary. You can be listening in your living room or on the road traveling somewhere. You can do the same thing. But maybe there's somebody today you'd just like to come down to an altar and say, God, I'm done. You know who anger really affects the most? The grudge holder. It's not anybody else. It's the grudge holder. Maybe you'd like to be set free from that today. Maybe you'd like to come and pray for somebody else that has nothing to do with anything today. Someone's having surgery. You'd like to come pray for them. You can do that. But here's what we're going to do. 
You can pray right where you're at at home or in the car. You don't have to come down to the altar to pray. You're not gonna get into heaven more for praying in your chair than you will here. But here's what we're gonna do. This altar over here, if you want someone to pray with you, come right down here. Others of us, don't want, you don't want anybody to pray with you. You just wanna to talk to God. If you just want you and God, you can come right here. If you're online this morning, you can make an altar right where you're at. But I believe today that this moment that we're coming here together and we're sitting here, that you are here by a divine appointment. And I believe that the opportunity is here this morning, that God is, is, is here, he's with us. And, and, and he wants for some of us to finally let go of something or someone or the anger that we've been carrying. And not only does he want us to let go, but he wants to fill us. He wants to fill us with his peace and his love and his joy and his goodness. Now, I'm just going to be real with you. If someone hurt my family the way that they hurt Dinah, that person ain't babysitting anymore. Amen? Amen? But forgiving someone and trusting someone are two different things, aren't they? I don't have to have them babysit anymore, but I don't have to hate them anymore either. I can forgive them and I can move forward. So as we stand together this morning, if God's speaking to your heart today, I invite you to have the courage to come talk with him. Lord Jesus, as we speak the name of Jesus in this song that Garrett's getting ready to sing, Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' powerful name, everybody said, amen.